everyone. This is Bev Marshall here, and I've had the honor and privilege of being married to Drew Marshall for almost 20 years, 12 of the best years of my life. Have you ever noticed just how sensitive of a man he is? I was crying with him when he was crying because... Hold on, hold on. We were crying. We're men here. (laughs) He may not know how to fix stuff around the house, but at least he knows women's fashion. Is it the way women are dressing? I mean, I know I'm going to be labeled sexist by even suggesting this. We can wear whatever we want. Well, I got to tell you, there's a lot of skimpy looking stuff out there. I know he thinks he's Dr. Phil and genuinely seems like he understands us women. Women seem to be driven more by emotions than men do, and men tend to be a little bit more analytical. And I'm not a sexist jerk, so don't write me emails saying I I hate women or something like that. Don't worry, ladies. I've trained him well. Driving, turning your radio down, and talking on the phone. You must be a woman, because a guy couldn't do all that. So if you're looking for sound professional guidance, well, there's always the guests he interviews. Tune in Saturdays between 1 and 5 for The Drew Marshall Show, right here on Joy 1250. You're listening to the show that talks about stuff the others can't, don't, or won't. The Drew Marshall Show on Joy 1250. Well, the man who made Harvey Corman break up on the Carol Burnett Show time and time again, funny man Tim Conway, has been making the world laugh for decades, folks, eons. From the Steve Allen Show and McHale's Navy to often being paired up with the legendary Don Knotts and Disney classics like the Apple Dumpling Gang, Tim Conway now joins us here on the Drew Marshall Show, live and in living color. Mr. Conway? Yes, my gosh, I thought he was dead. Well, you know what? I actually had someone say that to me the other day. Does that... Should I have brought that up, or... I've had people say that to me. (laughs) Jeez, I thought you were dead. (laughs) Well, you're looking well for a dead guy, aren't you? Pretty good, actually, now that I look at myself. You know, uh, over the years, the, the most legendary character of all would probably have got to be the master of many sports, the vertically challenged, of course, Dorf. And, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, do you want to be known for that? It's a strange thing, because uh, <laughs> when you're on the Carol Burnett show, actually, that the voice came from Mr. Tudball. And I took him and put him in the hole with the golf club and uh, made the, that the dark thing. But the reason I enjoyed doing that character was because I was a writer on the show and I could write one thing and then do something else. And, of course, Harvey never knew where I was going, so he made a complete fool of himself. Uh, but that voice, um, uh, you didn't have to write any funny words. It was just the fact that you could just say things and go on for a long time and then people would continue to listen to you. And you'd actually had said nothing at the end. Easy crowd. And uh, they were uh, satisfied with that. So it uh, eased my writing problems considerably. The star in the Hollywood uh, Walk of Fame. Was that a, a weird night? Is that something you, you thought, okay, it's about time, I should have I should have had this by now? Uh, did that ever uh, enter your no, mind? No, 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 no. <laughs> it was quite an honor. It was given to me by the Spastic Children's Foundation. I had a golf tournament for about 25 years with them and uh, raised uh, a dollar or two along the way. And uh, so they uh, purchased the star. You have to buy those stars, you know. Yes. You don't get them. Used to get them, but now they're, they're quite uh, costly, and I, I truly thank that organization for doing that. So, I, you know, I don't even know where it's located. I went down to Hollywood the other day uh, just to see what a, a robbery is like, and uh, <laughs> yes. or at least get, you know, your pockets picked. And um, I went to uh, where I thought it was, but it wasn't there, but I, I'm sure it's down there somewhere. It's near a sporting goods store, I, I know. Maybe they rotate them like signs, you know. They, There's a thought. The block yeah. flips over, yeah. so you might be on the underside for this well, week. And... <laughs> Mine only has four points, so it's not that difficult <laughs> to uh, recognize. So what have you been up to today already? Like, do you have a routine? Do you wake up and then go to the bathroom and then go back to bed and then back to the bathroom, wake up, have a little brand, go back again? Like, what are your mornings like? I go to the, I go to bed, go to the bathroom, then I get up and I go into the bathroom and I go, <laughs> wait a minute. Then I go back to bed, and then I get up later. No, I'm just getting in from a Hollywood party. Oh, are you? Oh, yeah. I was out with uh, all the wild teenagers. Yeah, we were down at uh, most of the clubs, so I I was just dropped off by a limo. uh, You and Kevin Bacon, probably, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, look, I, we've, we've got to get right into this right away. I understand that you got the news that your good friend of 45 years had passed from, I think, his children. One of his children called you. Is that right? Uh, yes. Well, actually, his future son-in-law called me. 
okay. uh, Danny. And, uh, yeah, Harvey was very ill for close to five months. I was in the hospital, had about six major operations. I mean, you know, 10, 12 hours on uh, the operating table. And um, so he didn't have a very pleasant closing because once they started uh, you know fixing one thing something else at uh, spring lake and uh, he just kept uh, you know getting worse and worse he was finally almost in a, um, uh, a self-induced not a self-induced but a, a chemically induced coma because uh, he had so many instruments in him i mean he had tracheas and all kinds of things mm. it was just a miserable thing so uh and he wasn't really conscious so i bought him a calendar uh, uh 2011 in case he woke up uh, I would tell him that he had spent the last two or three years uh, in the hospital and that the hospital bill was going to be astronomical, and he should think about that uh, before he gets sick again. Um, but it was, you know, it was a smooth um, parting. Uh, Harvey and I were friends for 45 years, at least he thought I was his friend, and um, we worked together for most of those 45 years. We just finished about eight years out around the country doing a live show and uh he seemed fine and then all of a sudden uh, bang there you go you know i can imagine debbie just being absolutely drained i guess she was with him for the entire number yes. of months he debbie, was in the hospital. Uh, never left his side wow. he uh he was five months in the hospital and i and she was in there five months so it was uh, yeah it was torturous for them because they get good news it looked uh, like something promising and then nothing you know? oh man tough now yeah. first worked with uh, harvey carmen on the danny k show i think was it uh, well, I met him on the. Well, I didn't even meet him on the Danny K show. I did the Danny K show, and I said to Danny, you know, if I'm going to do the show uh, just as a guest shot, I really don't want Harvey on because, it, you know, he's of no value to me. Not at all. He may be of you, uh, value to you, sure. but not certainly to me. So yeah. he wasn't on that particular show, and I just did that. I, the first time we met was on the Burnett show. Really met, you know, and shook hands and exchanged uh, numbers and cards and. Uh, uh, stories, and then uh, we were together for 45 years. You know, you've compared the relationship you have with Harvey to Jack Benny and George Burns. Yes, yeah. I would be the uh, George Burns, and uh, Harvey would be the uh, Jack of Benny. He, he had no control when he would look at me for some reason. Uh, it just it was <laughs> pathetic that a, a man was in the business and uh, had that poor control of himself, but... You know, these things happen. A lot of people sneak into this business. Is it true that you uh, coerced Harvey into buying a racehorse with you that had enlarged testicles and suffered from depression? Uh, that, <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gosh. Yeah, I told that story at his memorial, as a matter of fact. Yeah, we bought a... Well, I had racehorses because I was going to be a jockey when I was younger, and then I fell off so much that people got annoyed and... Uh, Stop betting on me. So I... They were betting on you. Wow. Well, yeah, on the horse, really. They were betting that I wouldn't stay on, and a lot of times I didn't. So that... Better uh, odds there, probably. a lot of money at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Harvey, I, he wanted... It's like when you have a sailboat. He wanted to get in on it, you know. You should never get a sailboat with anybody or a horse. Because no. it's it just is... Horses are strange. Sometimes they don't win, which ours didn't. Not only didn't it win, but it just trailed a lot of horses around the thing and uh, we actually had on our jockey silks on the back we had printed no passing in case anybody was ever in back of us and uh, you know we'd have a chance to lead but nobody was ever in back of us long enough to read that was it ever beat by the ambulance at all <laughs> it was beaten by hot dog salesmen everything uh, I went down one day after a race, and the uh, trainer was putting the halter on him to take him back to the barn, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm like, well, I've got to take the horse back to the barn. I said, why? He said, what do you mean, why? I said, well, obviously he doesn't like this occupation. Let him go. So uh, he said, well, he'll, he'll go out the freeway and get killed. I said, I don't care. You know, we've been uh, horsing around with him now for almost a year. He hasn't done anything, so let him go. Um yeah, he had very large, they thought that was the problem. He had very large testicles, and they were going to geld him. And uh, I said, well, shouldn't we talk to the horse first? You know, if somebody came to me, like your wife, and said, just run down to the corner, get a loaf of bread, and if you're not back in 10 minutes, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I would quicken my pace, that's as a, most men would. That's a motivation. Said, yeah. Yeah. Talk to the horse and tell him what you're going to do, and then let's see if it didn't do any good. So they made this large supporter for him. He looked... Uh, Ridiculous, you know, and uh, so like uh, a ball's ear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he ran around the track. He was he, a lot of people were laughing at him and thought that was a joke. But oh, uh, there you go. Was this Hail Columbus? It was. Yeah, 
Yeah, you got you got to tell the Dick Clark story. <laughs> well, Dick, that's when they had the program uh, Bloopers, Bleepers, and Blunders. It was like an Alan Funt show. And Dick Clark came to me and said, "Hey, do you think you could?" Pull? I was always pulling things on Harvey. I mean, he, he was so gullible; it, it was unbelievable. You know, uh, he just. I'll give you one example uh, to set this up. So we, we were coming back uh, from a trip back east, and we had to land in Arkansas in a private plane because we were running out of fuel. So we landed in Arkansas fueled the plane, and as we were taking off, I said to Harvey, you know, I don't think they put that gas cap back on. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? I said, well, the gas cap was out on the wing, and I think when we took off, it fell off. <laughs> so he said, oh, my God, well, we got to tell, you know. So he gets up, and he goes to tell the pilot to turn around to go get the gas cap, and the pilot's looking at him like he's got four heads, you know. <laughs> we don't have a gas cap. Well, yeah, I know that. That's why we should go back and go in. So there's a lot of things along the way in 45 years. Uh, stories like that used to take place almost daily with him because he, he's a very bright guy, but he can't tie his own shoes. Right. So the horse can't run a lick, and he's got large testicles, and we've got to put the strap on him so that he doesn't embarrass himself or the public. So finally, we decide, Clark calls up and says, hey, listen, can we pull this joke on Harvey? Do you have any jokes you could? I said, I got a great one. I said, I'm going to tell Harvey that we're going to sell this horse because then I told the story of the horse. So we had the four guys who were in on it, Joe Hamilton, which Carol uh, Burnett's husband at the time, uh, Ernie Anderson, who was the voice of ABC on the love boat, myself and Harvey, and the trainer of Jude Felt. So he, they hire this guy who has an English accent, and he's going to be from Australia and bring his granddaughter to buy this horse. So I said, Harvey, they're going to, uh, we got a buyer for this horse. So come to the, he comes to the uh, uh, Burbank uh, Academy there, and the trainer says, I'm not going to bring this horse all the way over to the, here. I said, look, just take out any horse out of the a stall out there. He doesn't even know the horse. You know, he won't know the difference anyway. So he pulls a horse out of the thing. And now there's two-way mirrors and cameras all around this thing of Dick Clark. And, uh, you know, so it, Harvey has no idea what we're doing. Everybody else does. So bring the horse out. The guy says, uh, well, hello. Yes, very nice to meet you and everything. We'd like to take a check at this horse. He said, I understand that the horse doesn't run very well, but he has great breeding lines. And we'd like to see it and uh, perhaps purchase it. So bring the horse out and the little girl's there. That's going to be her little, his little granddaughter. Yes, Daddy. Oh, yes. Oh, it's beautiful horse. Yes, yes. Bring him out. Walk him around. <laughs> Guy says, okay, well, uh, it looks very good. looks very good, very sound. Um, and um, he's great for breeding. The lines are great and everything. So he said, I'll tell you what. Um, I'll give you $125,000 for it. That's 25 over what we paid. So Harvey goes, oh, my God, it's great. Oh, wow. Jeez. Oh. And I said, wait a minute. Just a minute. Come here. All oh, you guys come here. So I bring him over, and I said, you know, we're, we're dealing in horse business here. This is, you know, I think this guy, I think we can get a couple of more bucks out of him. Harvey says, if you blow this, I'll kill you. I said, no, no, no. Just, just listen to me, okay? So I get the guy over, and I said, you know, um, we were thinking maybe a little bit more for the horse. Oh, really? Yes, well, well he, I suppose he correctly. We have great breeding lines. There's, there's a little girl. Uh, well, do, you, do you really like a horse? Yes, I really like a cat horse. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> he says, all right, I'll tell you what, $150,000. Now, he's making out checks all the time and signing them and giving them to Harvey. And Harvey's looking at these checks going, oh, my God, this is great. So I said, wait a minute, just one more. Uh, let me have another meeting with these kids. And Harvey is going, shut up. Just shut up. Let's take this check. Let's go cash it immediately. Let's get out of here. And I said, no, I'm telling you, this guy is right. So go back. I said to him, you know, really, the breeding lines are, are, are much too uh, good for uh, just this price. So the guy says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll give you $200,000. Stop deal. That's it. So... We all go, okay, all right. Harvey goes, oh, my God, this is great. Congratulations. Oh, my God. You know, the guy makes out a check for $200,000, hands it to Harvey, signed the whole thing, and Harvey's going, oh, this is wonderful. Now, the little girl says, Grandpa, oh, Grandpa, um, I wanted a black horse. <laughs> he said, yes. And she said, well, this one is brown. I don't want a brown one. I want a black one. Now, Harvey says, we'll paint it. <laughs> And the guy says, no, she wanted a brown horse. 
So, well, anyway, good luck. Nice meeting you, chaps. Off. And he goes. Oh, oh, oh. that fast. And Harvey's standing there. No checks. Nothing. Oh, my God. So now I've got to explain. And he's actually sick. So I've got to explain to him what this is now. So I take him in, in front of this two-way mirror. Dick Clark's on the other side of this mirror. And I have to explain to him this whole thing was a joke. So I get him over in front of the mirror. And I said, Harvey... Uh, listen, and he's going, oh, I can't believe it. We had 200 grand. Now it's, oh, God. I said, Harvey, uh, have you ever heard of that show, Bleepers, Bloopers, and Blunders? Um, would you ever consider doing something for Dick Clark? Now, before I could do say anything else, he says, that cheap mother, I wouldn't work for him. Now, Dick's on the other side of this two-way mirror. <laughs> he never pays anybody. He's, oh, yeah, and it gets people to do for another one of that guy's stuff. So I'm trying to figure out how do I get around this whole thing. And I said, Harvey, um, Dick is on the other side of this window. He said, oh, what are you talking about? So let's see, Dick Clark. Now, Harvey goes sky high. He is, he didn't speak to me for three months. <laughs> Once in a great while, he will bring up the fact that uh, he still has the checks, these phony checks the phony in checks. his desk drawer. Oh. I guess, it, you know, in case this guy ever makes some money or something. Go that ahead. is just yeah. classic, classic yeah. stuff. So that was that was our relationship. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was wonderful. But I, I also understand you're quite handy at cracking locks in your previous life. I've done that. I've done that with, uh, yeah, well, Harvey bought a suitcase, and, uh, you know, when you buy those padlocks, uh, zero, zero, zero is the initial. You can open it, uh, you know, the padlock with that, because that's your initial combination, then you can change it. So he gets a suitcase, packs all his clothes, and puts it on the plane. Now, it wasn't even locked at the time, the, the little lock, so evidently they locked it at the airport. And Harvey gets off the plane, he takes, look at this, some stoop locked this lock. <laughs> I said, well, that's what it's for. He said, no, 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 I don't I don't know how to open this. I said, let me see, is it a combination? Yeah. I said, well, I could open that for you. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, I said, you know, I've had a little work with, um, you know, safes and things like that. He just has to know how to handle it. So I put this lock up to my ear, and I'm turning the little things, you know, and I and I see that it's going zero, 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 and I open it. He said, geez, I don't believe that. How did you? I said, well, you pick up a lot of practical things in life there, you know, Harv, and uh, so so uh, that's great. So he opens the suitcase. Yeah, everything's here. Oh, boy, this is great. So I put the lock back on and lock it. <laughs> and he says, wait a minute, don't lock it because I've I got to get in there. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. You want to get in here, it's going to cost you five bucks each time. You come to me, I'll open it for you, and you can get in. So I made about $30 on that trip because and the stoop kept giving the lock back. Unbelievable. I know. Not the, not the sharpest tool in the shed, as they no, say. No, by no means. Hmm. No, no, no. Well, folks, again, on the phone with the one and only Tim Con. I'm sorry to do that one and only thing, but I uh, really, yeah. of all the guests I've had in the five years of doing the show, the only person I got really tickled about having on the show, aside from Louise Duarte, would be uh, would be James Brown. And then you come along, and, I mean, you're alive. So that was yeah. just, that's uh, a great guest. James Brown called me when he was in prison one time. I wanted to know if I could get him out. I said, are you kidding? He heard the crack and lock story, did he? Yeah. <laughs> Wade Hill, Ohio, near Chagrin Falls. Yeah, Chagrin Falls, boy, cute little town in Ohio. Yeah, the famous popcorn shop by the bridge. That's the main industry. Yes, sir, by golly. Yeah, you go out there and uh, try to get that box of uh, popcorn on Sunday. A lot of line, hundreds of people lined up for that popcorn. Unbelievable. Do you think Wish that? Have thought of it. Do you think? <laughs> Do you think? Well, then you would have been Orville Redenbacher, I guess. That's right. Do you yeah. th do you think that everyone has a sort of a Coach Quisenberry or a Miss Carol in their lives? I hope so. Were they extraordinary? Yeah, that would be so neat. Uh, yeah, I had an English teacher um, and uh, a high school coach who really, you know, in in our hometown, I think it was only about four thousand people. They cared about you. You know, those are the days where you could, you know, you left your house unlocked at night and uh, there was never any crime. And uh, the biggest thing I remember being stolen in town was somebody's bird bath. And so it was really, you know, it was just a wonderful place to be brought up. And uh, Quisenberry was uh, the coach there, and uh, he sent me in uh, the right direction. He got me to play football. Uh, I weighed 95 pounds, and he made me a guard, which would give you an idea of his intelligence. <laughs> so I was like a little rat. <laughs> hitting these guys 200 pounds, bouncing off them. And uh, Ms. Carroll saw that there was something. I, I was dyslexic, so people were always making fun of me whenever I read out loud or anything. I couldn't do it, and I couldn't I couldn't really 
do a lot of work because it took me so long to read something. So she saw, she didn't see dyslexia, because that wasn't really in vogue at the time, but uh, she saw that there was something cooking in there, and that, uh, so she took the time to kind of sit with me and talk about life and where I wanted to go and everything, and sent me in the right direction, and uh, we were friends uh, till the day she died, really. Hmm. Well, I think back to my life growing up, and I have the same sort of uh, educational difficulties, we might say. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, th- along the way, there were were those uh, those odd teachers that would take a bit of extra time with me, and they would right. teach they would teach me kind of cool words like uh, "ziki zumba zumba," "ziki zumba zay." <laughs> you know, that is one of the reasons I think that Bowling Green did not win any games a year. Uh, that I was a freshman. Uh, that was our fight song. That's Isaac Zumba, Zumba, Zumba. Isaac yeah. Zumba, Zumba, say. Isaac Zumba, Zumba, Zumba. Isaac Zumba, Zumba, say. Roll along, you BG Warriors. Now, if you're on a football team and yeah. you hear that, you got to go, please, you know. Fight the team across the field. That's a fight song. Yeah. Isaac Zumba just... Uh, no, it's not quite as tough as the haka, you know, for me. <laughs> no, that's also another good one. Yeah. 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 Phi Delta Theta Frat, which can get you into trouble should you have a lisp. Uh, would you and uh, would you and Dick Mosk maybe frequent Howard's Club H Bar uh, every once in a while? I do it. Yeah, well, I worked there a lot too, and uh, yeah, we were. Well, Dick got me into the Phi Delta, uh, and I elected myself uh, the the chef. I had never cooked, but I, I thought that perhaps that would be a good place to be because there was food around all the time, and I didn't have any money, so. Uh, I prepared uh, meals for uh, the guys every night, and uh, with the uh, assistance of a, of a lady who cooked most of it. I, my idea was mostly just to warm everything up. That old Swiss steak that uh, was so tough you really never could cut it. And um, then I would go into the kitchen at night and uh, hard boil all the eggs, make egg salad sandwiches, and sell those to the sororities. I come around around 9:30 and sandwiches. And uh, then the egg bill for $144 one month, I kind of <laughs> screwed that up. So I elected Dick uh, as the uh, chef, and uh, I tried to get into uh, financing by uh, becoming the treasurer. And I took the money from the treasury and uh, took 60 bucks and went to Toledo to the track because I told him I think I could double it there, and we lost it there. So uh, I don't think I was, uh, y- yeah, the best. Of, uh, of a of yeah. To me, it's surprising the Capone family didn't knock on your door and just ask you to join up and <laughs> graduate. Graduated with degrees in sewing and cooking eggs, salad yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, well, the reason I did that is because uh, I. I was having trouble getting through school with Latin. There was only six people in the Latin classes, so every sixth question was yours, you know. <laughs> and I couldn't figure Latin for, you know, beans. And then, you know, when flu season comes, you know, three guys are out with flu, and then I'm just the third guy in class. So every third question is mine. I, I got to get out of here. But I watered a lot of plants and uh, talked nice to the third teacher, and she said, "You're, you're never going to amount to anything, but you no. know, I don't really don't want you in here." So uh, she passed me. Nice. And I went into home ec because that was, my mother was a seamstress and I could sew. So I, uh, I went in there, and I, I was actually the best sewer in the class. So, but they wouldn't let me see when they, there was a time there when they. Um, were showing uh, pictures on uh, ladies' undergarments, and I was not allowed to see it because uh, that would be rather racy, you know. So uh, right. I was the only one in the class that's not uh, able yep. to see that. Was James Dobson around then, too, was he uh, yes. protesting yes. that yeah. that side of life? Um, <laughs> you uh, apparently had some pet rocks when you were signed up in the services in the Army. Uh, loved to paint them every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, well, the uh, Army had no sense of humor. Uh, I found that out very early, but I did find out that uh, you could, um, if you had an order that was signed by anybody, yourself or whatever, that's all you needed. They didn't care who the guy was or anything, as long as it was signed. So uh, I used to sign my own orders and send myself around the country, and uh, I went to uh, Arkansas, where they have ants bigger than people, these big red ants. And uh, they put me on guard duty, and you're supposed to, I was supposed to go to the service club at night. And, and all it was in the service club is uh, ping-pong balls and, uh, you know, magazines and uh, things to do in their uh, pool. And I thought, well, you know, there's really no reason, because it was peacetime. Who's, you know, who's going to attack a pool hall? So I fell asleep in the back of a car, and uh, the lieutenant was coming around to check and see if all the guards were on duty. 
And I suddenly woke up, and I ran out to uh, make sure that I met him, and I realized I had forgotten my gun in the car. And so I didn't have a gun. So I went to the trash uh, bin there, and I took out this long, white, neon tube, and uh, I just held it out, and I said to the lieutenant, halt, advance to be recognized. He did, gave me his serial number and everything, and he looked down, and he said, what is that? I said, it's a light bulb, and if you come any closer, I'll turn it on. And uh, that's when I got to start painting rocks, the paint rocks white and put them on one side of the driveway. And then the next day, I would put them on the other side of the driveway and yes. put in new rocks and paint them white. Wow. So, uh, yeah, we didn't get along. The Army and I, uh, I was in a couple of weeks extra because they thought uh, maybe I would straighten out if they kept me a little longer. But I didn't. Should, you know. Later on in life, did you ever have those nightmares that they, they somehow re-recruited you? Oh, God, I always do that. I think anybody who was ever in the Army has that. That uh, you uh, you know you just dream that you're back in the army. It drives me nuts because I you know I've been on the Carol Burnett show. You can't take me back, man. <laughs> and uh, that and uh, yeah, the actor's uh, nightmare, which is you you are suddenly cast in or thrown into a part or a play or something, and they, you, don't, you don't know the lines, you don't know nobody will help you, the audience is waiting, all of that. It really those are two wonderful nightmares that I have quite often because. Uh, and a lot of times they're not really nightmares. They're they're really true because I mean stuff and I don't know the lines. <laughs> well, folks, uh, Tim Conway on the phone here, who uh, many of you may or may not know, has been into the the racing scene for a lot of years. Uh, uh-huh. I was recently over in Lexington about a month ago, oh. and we stopped by a place called Hillendale Farms and had a little tour. That's where Seattle Slough is buried, mm-hmm. and Vindication is now their big stud. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently your track days didn't start off that well. You and the Frat Brothers kind of lost a bit of coin in Detroit. Yeah, that's when I uh, elected myself the treasurer and took uh, took the money up to the track yeah. and I was going to double it so that we could... Uh, get some new furniture for the library down there but uh, we we continued with the uh, cardboard boxes uh, because the, the horses didn't run in the direction uh, that uh, we had hoped which right. was around the track and fast <laughs> you would have been better to bet on the ambulance as we maybe mentioned earlier yes that's true yeah who goes to a job where an ambulance follows you not only to work but all day i can't wait for them to start putting some advertisement on the ambulances that would be yeah that'll be good that'll yeah. be good Maybe. Or a funeral home. Or fu- that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. I was just about to say funeral home. <laughs> right. You got into the racing maybe through through your Irish dad, your pa. Yes, my dad was Irish. He was uh, came over this country when he was uh, 16 uh, as a whip, which is a guy who keeps the hounds in line when you're uh, fox hunting. So he thought there would be a big calling for whips in this country. Mm. And uh, so How'd that, how'd that turn out whip. for him? Well, if you look out in your backyard on a Saturday, I don't think you see a lot of whips going by. And uh, so he decided to, just to get into training racehorses and uh, polo ponies. Nice. So uh, that's where I uh, that's where I ended up hanging around horses a lot. The Romanian mother uh, came to America at sixteen. Was it a Catholic family you grew up in? Uh, my dad was Catholic. My mother was uh, wandering, and um, yeah, she just became. Oh, I thought we were always rich. Because she always worked for rich people, you know, uh, doing house cleaning and housework and things like that. And we always had great meals uh, when everybody else was kind of floundering. So I thought we were very rich. But uh, I realized later in life that we weren't. We just uh, we, we were just stealing food is what we were <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think back to the relationship again. You and Harvey, um, you shared a, a number of things in life, a lot of memories, of course, 45 years. But you also shared the fact that you were both married twice and had children mm-hmm. with both marriages. Harvey, I think, had two and two, and you had six and one. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I couldn't count. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, do you know how many people are terrified to think that uh, Tim Conway has seven children? Yeah, I am, I know. <laughs> Possibly eight. Uh, something could be... Maybe somebody in Guam when I'm sure. <laughs> so lonely during the war. <laughs> Eleven years, five and a half Emmys. Uh-huh. It, you know, that's just an odd one right there. A lot of people's head turned to one side when they hear that, that cut. <laughs> five and a half Emmys. Golden Globe, uh, numerous outtakes. This was the Carol Burnett Show. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was great. Eleven years of uh, working for this very generous lady who let us just do anything. You know, and uh, as I said, being a writer on the show, I would write one thing and then say something else. So Harvey was always going south on me. Hmm. Very little control uh, of his acting abilities, and it would end up laughing during a sketch. How, you know, 
that's the worst. So, uh, but it wasn't all success, though, was it? I mean, think about uh, George Schlater's turn on. We did uh, a show that George thought was going to be humorous, and I, well, we all actually did, and it was actually canceled while it was on. Uh, <laughs> it uh, premiered in New York, and they turned it uh, off after about 20 minutes and uh, went to Cleveland. Cleveland was big. Cleveland turned it off after about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. And uh, the guy who never played an organ because they never needed it uh, played for 20 minutes. And uh, then, by the, So by the time it got to California, it was canceled. So we had a premiere night and a cancellation uh, party. <laughs> very economical. Very so economical. We had to pay for one, so yeah. it worked out very nicely. And there's a bit of a story, obviously. 13 weeks, that's your... Uh, is that still your license plate? Uh, not anymore, because it, now it's you don't even get 13 weeks. I went from 13 weeks, uh, which was the limit for a show that wasn't going to be successful, and then I went. Then I started them at six weeks. They would put a show on for six weeks, so I got one that said six weeks. Yeah. Uh, now I have one that just says news break, <laughs> and because once in a while I'll go on the news. Yeah, now it says YouTube. You know. Yeah, right. Uh, speaking of getting canceled, you got to tell us about the gangster sketch with the cream pie. I mean, seriously, who has ever heard of right in the middle of a sketch? Oh, yes. Right in the middle of a sketch. The producer yeah. comes out and says, you know what, guys? Forget it. Forget this it. This isn't working. It's not working. <laughs> yeah, we were doing a sketch that was so bad. I mean, you could hear the air conditioner because we weren't getting any laughs. And I'm supposed to get a pie in the face, which I did. And just after I got the pie, Joe came out. He was the uh, producer. And he said, stop doing this. And we did, and everybody went back. He said, Carol said, we'll come back and do another sketch in a minute. And I'm sitting there. Why couldn't you have done this before I got the pie? Yeah, the yeah thank you very much. We're, now, we're all 11 years at Studio 33? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you watched uh, Bob Barker, a lot of times he would stumble because there were holes in the stage there where we did Dorf. And he could never remember where they were, so he'd fall in those once in a while. you got to tell us about the two-man submarine and the, and the vasectomy, which apparently you performed yourself. Uh, yeah. Yes, I had a vasectomy, which I did myself, because <laughs> they're very expensive. I had a, you know, uh, Swiss knife and a mirror, so I could, uh, I could handle it. And then, then we had a thing where I was supposed to sit on a periscope, which uh, Harvey kept making go up and down <laughs> to add to my pain. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff took place on that show, that's for sure. Of all the guest stars... You know, mm -hmm. you, you've been asked this a million times. Who, who gets the award for the most uptight? Is that Rock Hudson? Wow. Uh, I worked with him just once, but, yeah, I would say, yeah, there was a lot of sweating going on there. Yeah, a lot of guys didn't fit in well because they didn't uh, they didn't get the humor that we were doing. That we Nobody really cared if he got the line right or not. It was just to get out there and do something amusing. And so a lot of guys, you know, were very worried about the fact that... Uh, they couldn't handle that kind of situation, but we had some great guests. Steve Lawrence was always great, and um, it just Carl Reiner was good. I mean, the guys who were used to working in that uh, direction were always good. But uh, you'd feel kind of sorry for some people. I mean, they just go on and freeze or quit. <laughs> <laughs> who had the hardest time not laughing? Uh, Harvey. Yeah, but he would always end up laughing because. Uh, uh, I, all I have to do is just look at him, and I'd hear him start to go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he he had a reason. For instance, in the dentist sketch, where I ended up anesthetizing myself, really, by poking myself with Novocaine all over the place, and so I became immobile, my legs, my arms, my head, everything. And he said, uh, you know, this, because I never did the Novocaine until we actually did it on air. And uh, he said, you know, this sketch really stinks because uh, it just is it's not funny and i said well i got a little thing i'm going to do with novocaine at the end he said nothing will save this so uh we we did the half of the sketch with just the talking which really wasn't that good and then i did the novocaine and i poked my hand my head my leg everything and, and you know just collapsed and uh and now it's legendary the biggest one. Yeah. yeah they play that at dental schools now when you uh <laughs> when you're taking uh, dentistry and uh they show you how not administer no, Tim, Tim, you got to share the Pat Carroll story. Uh, yeah, well, Pat was doing a thing. I was mistakenly, I took my monkey to a vet, and he mistakenly put, uh, uh, hit me with a needle for some disease that monkeys get or something, so I became a monkey, and I just uh, acted like a monkey for the whole thing. And Pat Carroll, unfortunately, um, 
was laughing so hard she wet her pants. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but the funny part about all this was she not almost defiant or a little bit uh, upset at you boys for you know sort of let's bring some professionalism back into this. Why are you yeah, guys but, always cracking up? Right, know? right, and she was the biggest laugher. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Tudball, Ms. Wiggins, that sort of developed in the offices, in the we studio, were, right? As, yeah, as writers, we were at uh, one end of the uh, hall, and uh, so in order to make any corrections in the typing that you were doing, you'd have to go down to the end of the hall and give it to the secretary and, uh, you know, say, Charlene, could you just make these corrections? And then she would have to walk all the way back and said, what is this? Uh, is this misspelled or what is that? Uh, go all the way back. So they put in an intercom that it was very simple. You, when you press the button, uh, you could talk to the other person. But when the other person pressed the button, uh, they could no longer hear you, which uh, she could never figure out. So you would go, uh, you'd press the button and say, uh, Charlene, I wonder if you can hear, hello? Um, Charlene, I wonder if you could come down here and wait. hello. Charlene, don't press the button while I'm talking. Hello. <laughs> so you could have the end of the hall and go, Charlene, don't press the button while I'm talking because then you see you can't hear each other. You go back and go, um, Charlene, could you just hello? <laughs> Charlene, don't press that button. Hello. Oh, God. So then you walk back down and just do it yourself. <laughs> oh, gee. Well, a master of uh, physical comedy in, in many ways. Look, I have told everybody this story uh, since the first time I saw it. It's the only thing I can remember from childhood. Watching you trip on the first step and fall upstairs. I've never seen yeah. anybody fall up a set of stairs before. You even fell into a rug and roll yourself up. Isn't that terrible? My gosh. Well, when I first did The Old Man, they had never seen The Old Man until we were actually taping, too, which I, I saved a lot of stuff in, that, in those days. So... Carol opens the door, and I come walking in at this slow pace. And I, as I'm walking, I said, if they don't stop this, this sketch is going to be 12 days long. <laughs> because I was, it was taking forever just to get across the room. And nobody stopped it, so uh, they said, no, to heck with him. He's out there screwing around. Let him go. <laughs> so the sketch, we had to cut another sketch because uh, this one was so long. But, yeah, that's true. I, I, well, I'm a natural athlete, every muscle tone to perfection. So I, mm -hmm. I could... I was very athletic, and so I fell upstairs uh, and uh, then uh, got rolled up in a rug at the top of the stairs and just was lying there for the rest of the sketch. You know, it, to me, it's amazing to think that even the great Dick Van Dyke could not fill the shoes of Harvey Corman. Yeah, well, you know, it was, we were in, so in tune, and he's, he's so great, a good friend, and it just, it was a, uh, it kind of, you know, it wasn't, uh, he, he would sit there and laugh. I mean, he got the humor and everything, but it wasn't, you know, after the four of us, uh, you know, were such a tight-knit uh, unit, and we all knew what the other was thinking and knew where to take him and how to go and everything. And it, uh, it wasn't that, uh, you know, Dick didn't have the talent. My God, we could, none of us could keep up with him, I'm sure. No, but he wasn't, but a, he wasn't just, a setup man. No, right. No, that's true. And it just... Uh, it just didn't work for him, and it's a shame because he was, he's a great talent, and I uh, wish it would have worked out for him, but uh, just didn't. So, uh, yeah, he only did one year. I am just trying desperately to capture the visual of you not even really winning an award, but just being nominated for an award, uh -huh. and, and not waiting for, for the the answer of who won. Not even As soon as you get nominated, you're up on right. stage uh, standing beside Red Fox. Right. Yeah, well, I figured... Um, when they when Red said the nominees are Tim Conway, Carol Burnett show, I got up and I went on stage with him, and he just stared at me and he <laughs> said, uh, "You haven't won." I said, "I know, but if I do, I'm here. You don't have to play that music and everything, so it can save a little time." Here. Yeah. Did you <laughs> did you leave before Chevy Chase came up and accepted the award? Yeah. yeah, I was kind of disappointed that. that so I had to go back and sit down. Harvey won an Emmy, and you were also nominated, and you went up with him. Yeah, yeah. And just we stood were both beside nominated him. And he won, and uh, I just followed him up and just <laughs> stared at him while he was making his speech. Like, you got a lot of nerve. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a classic line. I want to thank everybody at the Tarzana Pitch and Putt. Yeah, right. That's fun. Well, stuff. as you can see, I never took uh, this business very seriously. Good for you. So a lot of people were thanking the producers and yeah. directors and writers and everything. And I thank everybody at the Tarzana Pitch and Putt <laughs> because it was kind of a neat little, um, you know, course yeah. for kids and everything. And uh, they had a new uh, Mark Twain hole they just put in, so I <laughs> reminded people of that. And they could bring the kids and leave them in the playground while you're 
land miniature golf and uh, worked out very nicely. Tim Conway and Harvey Corman are now in the same company as Jackie Gleason, Johnny Carson, Lucille Ball, Cara Burnett. This Hall of Fame stuff, my goodness. You must yeah, every once in a while you just must just shake your head and go, What the what's going on? <laughs> well, I got in this business to have fun. Yeah. I really did. I, I, I had no idea I was gonna get into show business. It just I kept being in the wrong place at the right time and I got into it and I have enjoyed every single moment of it and anywhere along the line if somebody would have said get out of here I would have uh, gladly gone and uh, gone back to being a jockey or whatever but it was uh, no it's been such a great great run I never got in it for fame or <laughs> obviously and uh, or for it to get that one part or to, to do this or to do that I got in it to have fun and uh, Fortunately, I ran into Carol Burnett and Harvey and Vicky and Lyle and uh, the whole show and had 11 of the best years you can possibly imagine. And uh, then Harvey and I just went out uh, for the last eight years and went around to uh, different casinos and clubs and theaters and everything and did a uh, kind of a traveling uh, Burnett show. So uh, we, we were together almost all of the 45 years. I took my father to go and see, and my wife and some other people to go and see you when you came up to Casino Rama uh-huh. last year. And yep. uh, cheek seizures would be probably the best way to describe what happened. Uh-huh. All four really uh, happened that night. It was absolutely tremendous stuff. Uh, together again, the DVD was that filmed in Canada? Yeah, it was filmed that night, probably. Yeah, at uh, at, at Rama. And if you go to timconway.com, you could actually see that and uh, see what we did up there. See it, buy it, uh, together again, the DVD filmed in Canada, Thou Shalt Laugh too. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, that's a, a kind of a new innovation of uh, the Christian Network where they have only comedians who uh, do clean material. And uh, I happen to MC one of them. And uh, Patricia... Uh, Is it Heaton? Is she from Everyone Loves Raymond? Yeah. Yeah, Patricia Heaton. And uh, she did the first one. And it's just... Clean comedy, so that's yeah, that's kind of cute too. And I do a lot of you know voiceover for uh, Max Licato, who does uh, Hermy and Wormy, and uh, you know kids uh, little programs where kids uh, it's not you know they're not slamming you on the head with the religion, but it's how to be kind to people and uh, how to treat people who are not um, in a sense uh, all you all equaled and all mirrored, you know, some people are a little different than others, and uh, how to treat uh, people like that. So, it, uh, yeah, it's been a great run, it really has. You know, uh, Tim Conway turning 75 this year, I believe, if my numbers are right. yeah. Does that freak you out at all? Uh, It doesn't seem like 75, but I guess it is. Uh, Not really, Hmm. you know, it, uh, I, I have had a very fortunate life. I, uh, I've had no physical, with the exception of a broken back, I've never had really anything serious. And uh, I, I, illnesses, I don't, uh, I don't get involved in that because they're pain in the neck. So uh, it's just been kind of pain-free life, and had a good time and shared the best part of it with uh, some of the best people in life. Tim, spiritually, can you look back and see God's hand in your life? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was. In a football game, a guy ran into my back, broke a vertebrae in half. Uh, I was paralyzed from the neck down for about an hour, so I know what that uh, can do to you. Wow. And then for some reason, when they carried me off the field, they stretched me back out so the vertebrae went in place. It was still cracked in half, but it went back in place, and I never knew that it was broken. And uh, as a matter of fact, two weeks later, I played in another fo- I played the football game again. So. Gee. I really could have been, you know, it could have been uh, a whole other life for me. But, uh, yeah, I believe that uh, somebody said, ah, let's put them together and see what the idiot can do. Yeah. See if he can make anybody laugh. So I have been very blessed, and I do appreciate that. I just uh, was, uh, they sent me a script yesterday. Oh. For a show coming up next year. uh, Television uh, nowadays is to me, a little ridiculous. It's embarrassing. You know, mm. I can't even watch television when my kids are in the room because you never know what you're going to pass on the way to a program. It's just, it just doesn't, the content um, just is not appealing to me. So I turned it down. It's going to be a, an extremely successful show, I know. 
and but I said I can't do this. I can't say these things. I can't do these things. Um, people who come to watch, for instance, Don Knotts and myself, and when Don and I did this show together, uh, if we said these things to an audience, uh, they would go, "You got to be kidding." We thought, you know, that you guys were, you know, safe haven. But uh, so I turned it down, and uh, I do that a lot. And so it isn't a question of trying to get ahead or, as I say, be successful. What I'm trying to do is be happy and and kind of in a way show my appreciation for uh, what the folks upstairs have done for me for this life because uh, I've had a very, very pleasant life, six wonderful children and a stepdaughter and a wonderful wife and good uh, grandkids and so it, um, you know, I, I, I think you either have to take a stand and say, I'm going to do this, or I'm not going to do this, yeah. and uh, I'm not going to do this. When did the God stuff really start happening in your life? Like, was it right from the oh, get-go? I think it's always been there, yeah. yeah. I'm by no means a prude. Um, you know, Richard Pryor was a friend, uh, and Richard, you know, he's probably one of the most creative guys I've ever met, but... He used the language because, I mean, he grew up in a house of prostitution where they don't say please and thank you a lot. Sure. You know? So he, that language was part of what he grew up with and part of his character. And so uh, you, you, you know, you take it in that way. But nowadays, I mean, the gratuitous uh, language on, and nudity uh, on television, it just, it's kind of embarrassing because it, it, they just lay it out there for you. Hmm. And there's no thought to it. It's just uh, we can uh, hope we can say more words in the next show because we'll get a better rating. And I I just never found uh, a home with all that. You know, when I a lot of people when I talk to them about you coming on the show, you know, I, the reaction I got Tim was, oh, I didn't know he was a God guy. Now, I, no, because I think well, I never a, bang people on the head with it. Yeah, yeah. Know. Well, but there's a generational thing there too. I mean, your yeah. age group was a lot more private about their faith. Right, yeah, yeah. But uh, one thing I learned from Carol, too, was, you know, don't get into politics, don't get into religion, don't get into, if they want to know, they'll ask you. But, uh, you know, don't, you know, people who get on television nowadays and get out there and scream about uh, their political uh, preference and know nothing about it, really. You know, I consider myself the dumbest guy in the business, and I'm very proud of it because I don't have to answer a lot of questions that way. That's why he's just so stupid, he doesn't get it. So... <laughs> it just, uh, you know, and when you hear, you know, these people on television saying things that you know are not true and you know are, you know, and then they have the right to say it because they they can stand or sit in front of a microphone because they have it available to them and tell you what their thoughts are. And people say, well, gee, he's, he was in that movie, so he must know what yeah, he's talking yeah. about. And uh, it just uh, somehow isn't fair for uh, us to... Uh, be able to use those microphones uh, when other people aren't. I uh, just recently signed up for uh, something I've wanted to for many, many years, an improv course with Second City here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I know a fair number of comedians. We're going to have a couple on later in the show. But a lot of comedians suffer with the, the depression stuff. Did you ever go mm-hmm. through that? Not really. I think it catches up with you maybe uh, for lack of sleep, but not, uh, <laughs> not for depression. No. I, I've never been uh, that depressed at it. Uh, uh, time out of my life, I don't think. But, but the humor wasn't covering up or compensating or protect, like the trailing eye thing. I, you know, I've heard about yeah. that with you and the reading no, difficulties. I, and... I did, yeah, I did humor for to be funny. So it never, yeah, never really got in my way. Hmm. Well, listen, thank you for your time. You have just spent an enormous amount of time with us. You have, you have just given so many, so many warm. There was a quote I heard the other day. It said, um, uh, "A sandwich drawing closer to my face." brings me the comfort of home there's something about sandwiches that gives you the, you know soup and sandwich kind yeah. of a thing and yeah. and the uh, the carol burnett show people think of tim conway and harvey you were the soup and sandwich of our lives <laughs> yeah i know a lot of people would draw us closer to their face yeah, <laughs> yeah. well just before you go i need you to share one last little story with us uh yeah. i i know that one man could crack you up don knotts yeah he and I were friends. I went way back to Steve Allen with Don Knotts, Louie Nye, Tom Post, and the men on the streets. I, I, Don's the reason I'm really in television, I think, because I, he, he was such a, a, a meek little wonderful guy, and he just, you could read his entire life in his expressions. I mean, you look at now at the Mayberry shows, or it just, I mean, 
he's such a wonderful established character. He's he's Laurel and Hardy. He's Chaplin. He's everything. And uh, yeah, he and I were terrific together. And uh, I've never worked with anybody who worked with the ease that Don did. He just uh, he just knew people. He loved people. He loved to make people laugh. And the two of us together, uh, when we did, I wrote a couple of movies, uh, The Prize Fighter and Private Eyes. And we did them together, and it's the highlight of my life. And uh, I will uh, never forget him. I hope all of these guys are uh, up there, just kind of uh, in in a little room together. You know, <laughs> we can all get together again. <laughs> well, he was so comfortable in his skin that he wouldn't even bat an eye if he walked into a bar filled with cowboys in a little tutu. <laughs> That, that is an unbelievable... Please finish that story for us, and then I'll leave you with that. Well, Thanks. Don was having trouble getting uh, dressed in the trailer in the morning when we were doing uh, some things up in Stockton, which is cowboy country, and uh, he, he would say, uh, you know, Tim, it's really freezing in that trailer in the morning. I, I, I can't get dressed in there. I'm going to catch pneumonia. So I said, well, why don't you do this, Don? Why don't you take the, the wardrobe from the motel and just put it, put it on in the morning and then just go there, and then all you have to do is just sit around your coat until we shoot. So, you know, that's an idea. Now, we were supposed to be dance hall girls, so we're in these tutus and wigs and everything. We're just two dance hall dandies. So he comes out in the morning with his coat on, and underneath is this uh, tutu and all of these dancing things. And everything. You know, Tim, this is a great idea. I got dressed this morning, nice and warm, get the car, go there, it'll be fine. So we do this for a couple of days. So one night we were coming back. No, I didn't get dressed that way. I just dressed normally. So I come back, and I parked uh, the car, and I said, Hey, Don, I'm going to go in the bar and have a beer, and uh, I'll see you. We were staying at a motel across there, and uh, he was in the room next to me. So uh, he said, uh, Okay, well, I'm, well uh, maybe I'll stop over a little later myself. So I go in, and now these, these cowboys in here, these guys would like, are real cowboys. They just like their pastime is starting fights. So I settle up to the bar and I have a beer. They're all looking at me like you know, there's a Hollywood guy. And uh, all of a sudden, I see Don come through the door and he has on this outfit, the tutu and the stockings and the high heels and the everything. And he comes over to me and he says, uh, "Tim, uh, you got the key to the room." And I said, "Well, <clears throat> shouldn't we discuss price first?" <laughs> <laughs> Don't screw around, man. Oh. Cowboys here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were... Tremendous stuff. Kind of make him smile. Tremendous stuff. Tim Conway, it has been an absolute honor to chat with you. When people ask me from this point on who the highlight guest has been for me over the last five years, it is now you. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you very much. Thank you. God bless, mate. Okay, Drew. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Tim Conway on the Drew Marshall Show. Man. Personal thrill for me to have my son here co-hosting the show, Father's Day show, and uh, also to chat with one of my childhood heroes, Mr. Tim Conway. All right, a short break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Whether you're in your smart car avoiding Hummers or you're in your house avoiding the J-Dubs, there's no avoiding us, the Drew Marshall Show, live through our website and right here on Joy 1250. 